back with another episode of the anarchist experience episode 372 aka year eight week 17 uh coming at you this week as always i am your host mr richie rich along with mc and chaos and since this is your regularly scheduled saturday broadcast uh we do it through clubhouse you can find us there the club name is the anarchist experience or you can at me at riches for rich r-i-c-h-e-s the number four R-I-C-H, um, and then you'll get the notification thing when we start the club uh, around 4 p.m. Eastern time, Saturday afternoons. So I, I usually open the club around then, and then we mill about for a little bit while we you know, get the show prep situated and figure out what we're going to talk about. Um, and then if you want to raise your hand, uh, just don't be a douchebag that just comes in, raises their hand, and then dips out. Because uh, there, there's a bunch of those, like, I don't even know what to call them. I don't want to say trolls because they can't get in. But they... they I don't know how they find us, uh, but they do, and they just sit there with their hand up, but they haven't, like, the show hasn't started, they have nothing of value to say, because uh, there's no topics on the table, but if you want to participate, by all means, listen to the show, put your hand up, um, and we'll let you in, and then I'll quickly dismiss you, um, if it's not relevant, so that's all I can say about that. So, how are you guys doing this week? Um, okay, I had a, a cold or something. Covades again, relapse. No, I, th- <clears throat> I think it was a <clears throat> bad theater popcorn got stuck in my throat, gave me a bacteria infection. Oh, so not the monkeypox? No, not that yet. Are you concerned? Is it, are you guys concerned about the monkeypox at all? Uh, not at this point. No, not I, as. I, I, what I would, would it take? That. Well, if if it started spreading massively, okay. Um, if I started taking over entire cities and stuff, then oh, okay. Like, is it is it worse than the Covades? Like I've seen pictures and it looks nasty, right? But I something else. Uh, uh, another article said like it's it's fairly mild virus. Just you know, like is it deadly? I, I really don't know that much about it. Okay, so it could I don't be. know how deadly it is either. All right, I guess the the only reason I might be more concerned than you guys is like there were cases in Massachusetts, which is close enough to New Hampshire for me to go like, oh shit, <laughs> it could be here. You never know. And this is going to sound like not politically correct, but there were stories that came out and, you know, of course, Fox News covers it as delicately as possible. Right. But that it's it's spreading amongst the gays. (laughs) (laughs) But it's it's legit like that was that was like real science that came out. Um, But how but in, in a PC world like we have today, like how do you approach that subject? Right. How do you say, like, you know, that is a more at-risk group because of whatever, you know, science, um, without getting canceled or ratioed or whatever the term is? I don't know. You just say whatever the truth is and don't worry about it. <laughs> well, but that's the truth. That's unfortunately the truth. Okay. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> I said it. Let's see what happens. Um, prior to opening the show here, uh, KS, you said you were milling over the formula shortage that we discussed last week 
and it mm-hmm. was like popping in and out of your mind this week. So there was a little bit more to discuss on the issue or you had some additional thoughts on it that you wanted to share? Oh, just that the topic was introduced on this program and it was useful to me all week. Not only uh, contemplating this, the, the, yeah, the constant headlines and news, but uh, to relate these to other people that um, um, that this shortage is a government-contrived shortage because of the trade barriers. And that's true of so many different things. And this is just one more protectionist device where uh, baby food shortage, you know, they, they cry out that it's a problem of the marketplace when in fact it's, what they're not talking about is the fact that it's a problem of, of government um, intervention. Well, and the government and, you know, tried actually to a similar again. thing happened. A thing, a similar thing happened in Hawaii years ago with the Heptachlor uh, scandal. You know, there was um, pesticide sprayed on the pineapple fields, uh, so it got onto the tops of pineapples. That's the green chop that was ground up and put into the cattle feed to feed to dairy cattle, and the dairy cattle. Uh, then had high concentrations of heptachlor pesticide in it, which was harmful to humans and especially to in high concentrations then in mother's milk to babies. And when this scandal broke, people were blaming it on the problem of the marketplace when in fact it was the government's own barrier on imported milk from outside the state, um, from California, the Lucerne brand from Safeway, for example, uh, that prevented people from having an alternative. So for a while, only 10% of the milk sold in, in Hawaii was um, available. And um, and finally, they had to allow imports, which is what Biden is doing with, uh, with baby formulas right now. He's finally allowing some imports from some selected Swiss company, I guess, to, uh, to bring in airplane loads of, of this. Um, baby product, but um, you know, and it makes Biden look like he's the hero of this of the day. Ah, we've 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 found an alternative. When in fact, Biden is the the villain because he's um, probably as protectionist as any president's been. Um, but as they all are, have been in maintaining this kind of very uh, protectionist kind of um, measure on baby formula. And then because of the high price, then they heavily subsidize it with government uh, taxes, uh, tax subsidies to a few select uh, producers in this WIC program that makes it seem reasonably priced, but only because taxpayers are paying for the high protectionist costs. Right. And that was another thing that came out. um, I don't know what the money was supposed to go for, but there was some legislation passed or whatever, some emergency funds. And apparently like, all the Republicans voted against it or not all, but a handful of Republicans voted against it because it still passed. Um, and there were, you know, people on social media decrying the Republicans that voted. No, right. Like these, these are the guys, these are the, the ones who are trying to prevent your baby from eating and trying to starve your baby. And I was like, well, that's like, that's, I don't even know that that's true. Uh, because it was a funding issue that they were voting no against, right? They were saying like, no, we don't want to appropriate, you know, this $20 million towards this problem, whatever that problem is. In this case, you know, the baby formula shortage. And so the question I had was, well, number one, where, where was that money going to go? And my problem with the whole situation was like, it wasn't a money shortage. 
right? It wasn't that we're not short on baby formula because there wasn't just enough money going towards that cause, right? We're short, as you said, Cass, uh, because of restriction on imports and other, and, mm-hmm. you know, and the, the FDA or whatever shutting down one of the biggest factories of baby form of domestic formula production, right? So like they, they caused it. They refused, they, you know, they didn't allow the alternatives in for a while, you know, the vast majority of alternatives in. And then what was this funding going to do? What were, are they going to like, is it going to be a government run formula factory that's going to get built overnight to cause the shortage? Right. Was it, was it going to be government funds to pay for the imports that were coming in? Right. Because the factory is not going to go up. And even if they were going to like pay for the imports coming in, it wasn't a market problem. Right, it wasn't like lack of consumers wanting to buy foreign uh, formula. It was government restriction on getting it in the first place, right? So if they lift those restrictions, as as you said, Joe Biden did to you know to make himself look heroic uh, from from one country, um, like the money would have flowed there if you just lifted the restriction, right? And like, oh crap, there now now that we can get you know, like the whole COVID shortage for a while. Uh, one of the interesting things is there were shortages on the shelves, right? Like in all the supermarkets across the country, um, what you were used to seeing there was no longer there. And what eventually came to be there was like brands you've never heard of, or I, I will say brands I've never heard of, right? We're now occupying the shelves where, you know, the name brands used to be. So these, you know, they were allowed to operate. They were allowed to produce, you know, maybe not the big guys, but some of the smaller ones. I don't know where the hell they were importing them from or how they were getting done, but it was like, oh, look at that. New brands getting shelf space where, you know, where larger brands used to be. So if the if the formula problem, you know, could be solved by just allowing competition, right, more, more foreign producers allowed to enter the U.S. market, or smaller producers allowed to produce, right, and not just, you know, not just the, the big government authorized ones, well, then that's what would you would see on the shelf. And then the, the market money would just go there instead. So the whole idea of like, uh, I need to think about what the money was going to be spent on before I can decide whether or not it was going to be a good idea or not is ludicrous uh, to me because it doesn't matter. Like it does, what could they have possibly spent that money on that would have made it better than just, you know, allowing competition and imports to come in, right? And letting the actual market decide what's going on. Chaos. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, what you point to is the fact that this is a pervasive thing, and the general public um, tends to look at the government as the protector of their interests, and uh, and they're not. These actions are are deleterious. And much like you said, I, I believe last week when you said that you know, in dire circumstances, in emergency situations, they'll they'll lift the restrictions of the Jones Act. Right. In which in, case they look like the hero because they've lifted the restrictions, which must have been in place for good reason. Well, but then they bring it back. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Like yeah. this, this crisis will pass. And bring things back to normal. <laughs> yeah. This crisis will pass and, and the, the baby formula restrictions will still be in place. Right. The, those, in, those, you know, those saviors, you know, heroic uh, imp, uh, foreign imports will be banned again. Uh, you know, as you said, to protect the domestic producers who are like back operational now, right? Whatever, whatever problem they had, I think there was like a fact, one of the, one of the big factories got shut down for some safety concern and, you know, and again, okay. So was that, was that $20 million going to go to that private company 
right? So they can fix their safety concerns. Was it, was it, uh, was it corporate welfare, right? The, 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 the safety of baby, the safety of babies and the integrity of baby formula is so good that we have to bail out this private company, you know, rather than just letting competition enter the marketplace and letting consumers decide if that was, if that's what it was going to be. If you know, let me know. Cause I don't, I don't, again, I don't really know what was in that bill. Uh, you got to pass it before you can read it and find out. And I, you know, whatever, I don't pay attention. I don't pay close enough attention, but I do know that it once, once the crisis has passed, right? The restrictions that save the babies are going to go back up in place. The protectionist uh, policies will go back in place. The handful of domestic producers will, you know, will get their handouts and be allowed to produce uh, at the detriment to, you know, imported goods um, and, 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 and so on and so forth, right? Like back, back to normal. There's your normal right there. Government, government interference, government protection, at the detriment of competition and consumer benefit in the marketplace, right? And if the and if the goddamn price is too high, again, uh, you, you know, you're, you're leading me in this direction, Cass. If the price is too high, um, stop turning it into a monopoly, right? Absolutely. Competition would bring the price down. If you allow competition, you bring the price down naturally through market means, and then you don't have to subsidize it with WIC programs or whatever else there is. I seen... You know, this this isn't just baby formula. It's been the agricultural program since ni- since the 1930s, since 1933, the Agricultural Adjustment Act. They've done it on for wheat, corn, sugar, tobacco, um, soybeans, a number of crops, uh, major crops that um, <clears throat> are all heavily subsidized in the same way. Uh, first, they ban imports, so you can't buy the competitive stuff abroad and then they heavily subsidize the the domestic stuff so that it appears that the government is the is the beneficiary that's how they started the food stamp program and the school lunch programs as subsidies to try and mitigate the high cost of food that they've produced and the destruction of food <laughs> yeah I, there was another social media post highlighting the the asininity of the, the WIC program, there was, uh, I guess, signs in certain grocery stores that um, mm-hmm. limited your purchase of formula unless you were on WIC, in which case you were allowed to purchase an unlimited supply of formula with your, with your WIC money, which if anyone knows anything about welfare, uh, the, you know, the food stamp, the, the WIC program, the EBT, whatever you want to call it, um, different programs, but same idea, subsidized food for a certain class of people, um, They'll buy all the formula and then resell it, right, on the open market at an even higher price because they, they paid a subsidized price to begin with. So even if they sell it for, you know, a little above retail, then they're making money. And because they're, the, the, they're now the protected class that's allowed to purchase it by, by, by sheer, by the, the, by the idea that they're on government assistance to begin with, right, you have to be getting government assistance to be allowed to purchase this product right? And no one else can purchase it in as great a quantity as you. Just by that fact alone, um, you're now a reseller, potentially, right? And there were, you know, social media things were like, you know, the, the lady, bought, this lady came in and she bought all the, used her wick and bought all the formula and wouldn't leave anyone for anybody else. Well, there's the system for you, right? Price should go up in a shortage, right? To better allocate, you know, the, the remaining supply. Um, 
but that, but the government sets the price artificially low for that select group of people by subsidizing them during a shortage and then says that they're like the only ones who can buy in large quantities, exacerbating the problem even more. But let's throw some money at it and see what that does. Good times. Anything else on the baby formula chaos? Nope. nope. Did we hit all the points that we needed to hit? The recent debacle? Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right. I have a long article um, that we've pro- we've definitely gotten into in the past, um, and the you know the the nature of the show dictates that we're going to cover topics repeated repetitively um, as government you know fucks around. Um, so I listen. One of the podcasts that I listen to is the School Sucks Project, and they had their like graduation either last year or earlier this year. I don't remember. Uh, after like 12 years of producing a podcast, uh, the host went, I'm done. And recently they came back with their like best of, you know, he's doing like the essential. He curated it, you know, 12 years worth of podcast down to like 50 new episodes. And so I'm re-listening to some of the stuff I listened to before and with like new introduction. So he'll reintroduce the show with, you know, with um, contemporary issues. And he was sitting there and, he, you know, he's introducing one of the, the latest uh, releases. And he said something to the effect of um, one of the disheartening things about doing this show for 12 years and doing this curation is the show you're about to listen to is from like 2009. And all of the problems that are discussed in this episode are still problems that we have today. And now there's another layer of problems on top of that, which those problems were the foundation for. And that's just, you know, that's just the, he, you know, his, his narrow scope is the public schooling system. Um, we cover a lot wider gamut of current event topics on this podcast. So the idea that, you know, what we talked about in, you know, our eight plus year or yeah, we're, yeah, we're in year, we're, in, we're in year eight. So our seven plus year run um, of doing this podcast dictates that we're going to recover some topics because there's still fucking problems. And no one listens to this show. So no one, you know, no one important enough listens to this show where they're actually going to implement uh, any of the loose solutions that are discussed here. And so when those problems come up again, we discuss it again. Um, so during the pre-show, I said, like, it, it's been a while since we covered this particular, this age-old question, uh, as the article will get into. And because, you know, we, we haven't covered it in a while, I said, like, well, let's just do it. Um, but I also said it's a long article. So as I'm reading through this, don't let me, don't let me read the whole article unabated because it's long and we'll probably like run into the end of the show if we do it that way, but we'll get through as much as we can in the time we have. Um, but I'll start the article and then feel free to interrupt, interject, ask questions, pause me, take a minute to have a discussion about anything that's said, um, because this is one of those topics that hasn't been covered in a while. But in the scope of the anarchist experience and in the scope of anarchism in general, uh, it's still a hot topic on the internets and on social medias. Um, and that is the age-old question, is anarcho-capitalism anarchism? And KS, you said like, wow, that's a loaded question. And we're going to get into the weeds about words and definitions and how things are used. And you're probably right. 
Um, I can almost guarantee it because this is for a center for a stateless society and their MO is redefining words and changing meanings of things uh, to suit their <clears throat> viewpoint as a left market anarchist think tank and media center. What um, if, what if anarchism isn't anarchism? Ooh, what would it be then? <laughs> I don't know. So, so, okay, let's start there then because, you know, um, I'm also on Free Talk Live, and the main hosts of that show uh, also don't like the term anarchist or anarchism, right? It's a loaded term. No one knows what it means. You always have to explain it. Um, And one of the regular hosts, Mark, said that you don't even want to be an anarchist because if you're an anarchist, you eliminate self-rule as well, right? It's if there's no rulers, right, which is like the, the foundation of what anarchy means, right, anarchy, no rulers, then you don't even have self-rule. Like you're not even leader of self. You, don't, you have no autonomy, whatever, for your own actions because, hey, there's no rulers. And what he suggested is autarchism, which is self-rulership, right? So you want to like circle A, but autarky. You're an autarchist um, until I was, you know, I think at uh, one of the pork fests or listening to a lecture from Jeffrey Tucker or something. Uh, and he used the term um, autocrats, right? Which then confuses it even more because aut- autocrats, autarchist, you know, same roots, right? Those, those individuals. Um, so if there's a, if there's a better word, like I'll take it. And, you know, amongst the debate of, you know, anarcho-capitalist and anarcho-communist. Are we going to have to change the name of this show? No, because I'm <laughs> fine with the word. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I thought you said you're going to take it. <laughs> well, I, it, because it's not a better one. It adds, more, okay. it adds more confusion is what I'm saying. Because when Jeffrey Tucker said autocrats, he didn't mean anarchists, like people who self-rule. Um, he meant the, uh, the, the, uh, like the Donald Trumps of the world and the, the politicians, um, the, the autocrats, the, the, those, that level above everybody else. I don't have the definitions in front of me. Feel free to look it up if you want. My point is that, you know, autarchist and autarky and autoarchy or whatever, um, I think muddy the water even further. So. If someone labeled me as that, fine, but it's not, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to self-describe as that, right? That's another, th- that's another thing that people get all up- upset about. You know, it's like, oh, that, you're being labeled by somebody else. Like, okay. In my mind, that's what I am then. Like, I don't care. Part of, I'm, I'm sure we're going to get into it with this article, but part of the, the breakdown here um, is that there are, there are uh, left anarchists, right, Center for Stateless Society people who prefer the term mutualism. And when they say mutualism, they mean what I say when I say anarcho-capitalism. To me, they're fundamentally the same. So they'll say, well, you're not really an anarcho-capitalist. You're just a confused mutualist. I go, if that's what you need, bro, like, fucking fine. But I'm going to continue to use anarcho-capitalism for my description Um, 
even though people say like, well, capitalism is a loaded term and anarchism is a loaded term. And I say, well, that's why you fucking have the hyphen in there, man. So when people are like, well, anarcho-capitalism, like, what does that mean to you? I go, well, a capitalist economic structure, absent state intervention, right? So you get all the voluntary agreements and the markets and all that fun stuff, uh, but you don't have the state involvement. Because if the state's involved, you have what we would call crony capitalism or capitalism or whatever, uh, and it's insufficient of a description. And if you just say anarchist, right? Like, you know, talking to people like, I'm, I'm just an anarchist. I don't believe in anything. I go, fine. I'm going to assume you're one of the commies then, and I need to defend myself against you because you won't respect my me, myself, uh, and my property, right? Because that's, that's what the other anarchists believe. You can't own anything, man. So, like, everything belongs to everybody, and if I just, I just take what I need. I go, okay, but if you take what's mine, we're going to fight, you know? And if that makes me not an anarchist, fine. That's why I hyphenate, you know? To, to disassociate from those jackasses um, and to just disassociate from the, uh, from the straight state capitalists as well. But that's just me. So is anarcho-capitalism anarchism? Um, the article is going to say no. I'm going to say yes up front. Any, you guys want to throw out a quick answer, yes or no? I agree with you. Okay, good. Fantastic. MC? Um. I will reserve judgment. Oh, okay. And and uh, another thought to to pitch in on this whole thing here. I I usually don't even use the word capitalism, coined as I understand it by Karl Marx as a derogatory term for you know the um, for private enterprise. I much prefer when we're talking about um, non-governmental action as uh, the free market or voluntarism. But capitalism, I'm I'm okay with because of the way, way I understand it. But of course, the way I understand it is is different than the way the socialist or communist understands it. They always see private enterprise as intertwined with governmental favor and privilege, and um, um, I don't. I see it separately. But I mean, of course, when I view communism, I I don't see it as a as a as they often do, ah, the pure communist system is a system of purely voluntary interaction between individuals in the commune, the collective. I, I see Stalin and and uh, um, you know the dictatorship of the proletariat, the stuff that Marx said was was prelude to the right. pure communism. And that's another reason why, um, although I will accept the term voluntarist, like I have a voluntarist tattoo on my arm, um, that label hasn't gone away. Um, I also find it to be insufficient, right? Because I'm not a voluntary communist or a voluntary socialist, right? I'm not going to be joining a commune or, or putting, you know, my, the, the, the fruits of my labor into a socialist basket, right? I don't participate in those things. I participate in the capitalist market where, you know, division of labor. And, you know, I, I had a friend ask me once, you know, he goes, Rich, why do you work here? You know, and we we're working a fast food <laughs> joint. He goes, why do you work here? Like, why are you doing this? I go, you really want to know, man, like you really like truth, you know, heart to heart, truth of the matter. Why do I have this job? He goes, yeah. I go, cause I can't grow my own food. Right. Like if I want to eat, I have to go do the thing that I specialize in 
to get paid the money, the medium of exchange, to go to the guy who knows how to grow his own food and can grow enough that he can trade with the rest of us, right? And I trade with him. If I could grow my own food, I wouldn't have to work here because that's the trade-off, right? I specialize in one area. He specializes in another area. And then we trade. Um, but we trade. We don't, I don't put, like, my service in a basket. He puts all the food in a basket, and we just, like, take what we want, like, you know, the commies and the socialists, which, which would be acceptable under a voluntarist uh, system, right? Which I'm fine with for you if that's your thing. But I don't want to be a part of that. So I'm not. So voluntarist, again, insufficient, um, you know, ins- insufficient definition for me because it, it, because it's overarching, right? It covers everything. It covers everything voluntary, um, even the things that I may not want to, that I may not voluntarily participate in or want to participate in, if that makes sense. So is anarcho-capitalism a form of anarchism? The resounding cry for anarchists of all stripes, including myself, this is the author, is no. The debate rages on, but two questions are raised by this claim. Why isn't it anarchism? And if it isn't anarchism, then what is it? I believe the answers are because it fails to meet the deeper commitment of anarchism and is actually a form of radical libertarianism. And this brings up a further question. What then is... (laughs) It actually does bring up a further question. Anarchism is not... I mean, just the the concept is something that leaves, leaves each individual pursuing a different path, and, and yet they're trying to narrow it down to a single path. Okay, go ahead. Okay. <laughs> Sorry for the No, no. Like I said, this is a long article. We're like four lines into it. We're not going to get through it, so interrupt as much as you want, and then we'll wrap up when, it, when, you know, when, when it's suited. Um, that brings up the further question. What then is the relationship between libertarianism and anarchism? I, the author, will attempt to substantially elaborate on this former response in order to lead to an open-ended exploration of the latter. First, though, it bears mentioning that for much of the world, libertarian and anarchist are used more, le- more or less interchangeably. Libertarian was first used in a political sense by anarcho-communist Joseph de Jacques and remains in use as an inherently leftist idea in much of the world outside of the United States. However, in 1955, Dean Russell proposed that classical liberals abandon the public title of liberal and advance that those of us who love liberty trademark and reserve for our own the good and honorable word libertarian. So, libertarian in its common usage in the U.S. just really means, at least at its core, liberal. And the meaning of liberalism can be found in its etymological roots, uh, with Bettina Ben Graves writing in the preface to Ludwig von Mises' Liberalism in the Classical Tradition that, quote, the term liberalism is from the Latin liber, meaning free, referred originally to the philosophy of freedom, and summing up its real-world application as represented by the free market economy, limited government, and individual freedom, unquote. Essentially, liberalism takes the form of a belief in the essential liberty of the individual the real-world practice of which is the greatest possible minimization of the state and the greatest possible maximization of the market. These are therefore the basics of libertarianism. And again, Jeffrey Tucker, uh, at one point in the, you know, 
recent past, I don't know how long ago that is in your mind, um, tried to take back the term liberal, right? Like, oh, I'm a classical liberal. Well, what does that mean? It means I'm a libertarian, right? You know, more, more words, more labels uh, to confound and confuse and so that people, you know, so that you, you get the opportunity to explain your position whenever you are asked. And it also doesn't look like what liberalism looks like today, right? The modern liberal today um, bears no resemblance to the classical liberal of yesteryear and does not want to, you know, does not look for or beg for or demand or fight for freedom or liberty in almost any respect that you can think, right? The modern liberal is looking for a government handout, a government regulation, a government rule, government domination, some authoritarianism uh, at every end, right? Well, well, even the liberal has abandoned the word liberal. They've gone to progressive because liberal had this twisted, uh, you know, socialist identification with, so much of the population that they decided, oh, okay, let's let's shift again. We'll go to progressive, and abandon that word word that's given us a bad name. <laughs> Ironic, but I guess better serving, right? Since they don't want liberty or freedom, they want to progress down more authoritarianism. So off they go. And the pick, they picked up on progressivism, which, as I understand it, originated with like Robert Lafave, uh, Robert Lafollette in the um, early part of the twentieth century around 1910, uh, 20, when he was uh, even run, yeah, running as the Progressive Party candidate against uh, Woodrow Wilson and and Teddy Roosevelt and things like that. Um, anyway, so the term, it, that term is not nothing new either. It's a rehash of, an, of a very ancient term. Does it apply? Like, are those, are those new progressives at least uh, philosophically aligned with the progressives that you mentioned? Yeah, I think they are. All right. I guess it's appropriate then. A label that fits. Of course, liberalism now dominates the world in its corrupted hegemonic form of neoliberalism. But at its inception, as Kevin Carson writes, the liberalism of Adam Smith, David Ricardo, and the other classical political economists was very much a left-wing assault on the entrenched economic privilege of the great Whig, landed oligarchy, and the mercantilism of the moneyed class before primarily taking on the character of an apologetic doctrine in defense of the entrenched interest of an industrial capital. So while liberalism has its common origin with neoliberalism, it is certainly not the status quo and then can therefore be identified as this original radical essence of liberalism brought to bear in the 20th and 21st century. Admittedly, this is giving a lot more credit than is due to vulgar libertarians who, as Carson accounts, use the term free market in an equivocal sense, seeming to have trouble remembering from one moment to the next whether they're defending actually existing capitalism or free market principles, and consequently become apologetic for the status quo and ruling elite. But Jason Lee Bias argues that libertarianism, despite its misuses, is still fundamentally a radical form of liberalism. And further that, to say that libertarians are radical liberals is to say more than just we are more extreme. It means taking an idea to its root and applying that idea consistently, 
Radical liberalism leads to the conclusion that although our interests are naturally aligned, they are wildly at odds in the world around us. This unnatural disharmony comes from the imposition of power and the way aggression feeds upon aggression. And that, though there is little uh, adrenaline behind the legislature's vote, the bureaucrat's checklist, or the policeman's casual stroll, they are acts of war all the same. Throughout the monotonous charge, the unknowing uh, infantry supreme objective is always the protection of political authority. In turn, radical libertarianism, radical, radical liberalism, takes these observations regarding power and violence and the aforementioned aspect of individual freedom, limited government, and the free market economy to the conclusion of absolute individual sovereignty, zero government, and everything being provided by a market. This is the vision of anarcho-capitalism as described by thinkers like Murray Rothbard and Friedman, and it may sound like anarchism in the colloquial sense, but the abolition of the state and voluntary associations of a genuinely free market is not enough to qualify as anarchism. This may seem like an odd statement to make, as many definitions of anarchism center on free association and zero government. No shit, you think? Like, right there. You stop the article. We need not go any further, right? Uh, many definitions of anarchism center on free association, zero government. The the you know this is the vision of anarcho-capitalism as described by Murray Rothbard and Friedman. Uh, mostly Murray Rothbard is where a lot of uh, anarcho-capitalists tend to fall, right? Like there's there's not a lot of like Misesian or Mengarian anarcho-capitalists. Uh, you get to Rothbard, and then you stop for a little bit, and then you get racist, and you find Hoppe, right? Like, that's the progression. <laughs> Am I wrong? You're laughing, Cass. No, no, you're right. Okay. You're right. <laughs> you go like, oh, this Rothbard's got something, you know, and then you go like, well, I don't really like black people. Let's see what else they have to, and then Hans Hermann Hoppe pops in. Sad but and, true. And then, he, and then he uses the state to implement his racism, you know, so... Uh, he, the, the anarchist in so many other areas, I mean, he's got this blind spot about uh, the people he hates, this immigrant to America and Turkey. <laughs> That's true. Okay, that that mentality is true for a lot of thinkers, right? It's, it is. Um, Sadly yeah. so, it is. You're right. It's, I, I don't, I, man, I think there's a, a term for it in psychology or psychiatry. Um, it's like a Freudian blind spot, right? Because Freud... And many psychologists and those type of thinkers, right, they have the prescription for everybody else, but the prescription does not apply to themselves, right? I'm currently reading a really good book. It's called The Righteous Mind. Um, It's a a lefty that is going through a journey figuring out how, you know, psychology works and everything. Um, But uh, I think one of the things he points out is uh, tribalism and it, it... manifests in different people in different ways and maybe maybe that's it maybe the racism is just tribalism and and uh he hasn't you know he hasn't been able to see through that so you know yeah i can see that because it's it's the it's the fear of not like me right like we're fine if if everyone's around me is like me i'm I'm, okay I'm, i'm not even sure if it's a fear thing it's it's more like uh uh the tr- tribalism is 
deeper seated in our psychology than just a fear. It's something you have to support and okay. uh, to, to, to make your tribe stronger and that makes your, yourself uh, stronger also and, uh, and your tribe. So generally speaking, when I'm around uh, libertarians and other anarcho-capitalists, maybe not the commies, um, I will leave my bag unattended, right? Because there's an inherent trust that the people who think like me aren't going to steal my shit. Mm-hmm. Um, when I go to the gym, I lock up everything, even if it's just like a pair of shorts and a, and a sweater, right? No, fuck you guys. I don't know you. You're not like me. You're not one of me. We might share the same, like, you know, gym routine. Um, but no, uh, my, you know, my stuff gets locked up. Well, that's excellent observation, and I'm like that too. I, I think you you kind of judge the threat of the people around you at all times, and of course, interestingly, that's why um, the thieves and robbers so eagerly at, become attracted to those safe spots because they think, ah, oh, we can be a wolf in sheep's, sheep's a wolf in sheep's clothing, and um, take advantage of them. That's how how. You know these event evangelical um, um, gurus have have, or not just evangelical, uh, Hindu or wherever gurus all around the world have have uh, found their way into a trusting community and fleece them all. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not that difficult, right? Um, I'm MC, you had experience with this in in the crypto space, right? With the didn't, uh, with Mount Gox, weren't didn't you get um, weren't you part of that debacle in some form? I got goxed. What's the point? Yeah, okay, no, just saying. Be, because it was a trusted space, like early on, right? And they 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 took over and and fleeced a whole bunch of people. Yeah, the, I was just highlighting what KS was saying with you know the trusted community. No one no one thought. And there's um, man, I don't watch a lot of TV, which means I don't watch a lot of commercials. But some of the shows that I have, they have like the built-in commercials. Like, all right, we're going to go to the side-by-side live action. So I watch the live stuff, but I have to listen to the commercial type of thing. And apparently there's a, there's currently um, a documentary or something on some uh, crypto millionaire, some Canadian crypto millionaire who'd like disappeared off the face of the planet. Like folded up shop, took, you know, stole everyone's money and ran. And so they're like, you know, going to solve the mystery tonight at 11 type of a thing. Mm-hmm. But again, trusted space, right? Which, you know, Partially, I don't want to get too far off of, of this article, but the you know the the crypto crash right now has a lot to do with that in and of itself, right? There were there were certain levels of trust with certain um, coins and tokens, and then it comes out that hey we're not to be trusted, and then boom everything just folds in and on on itself, and you're you know okay. crypto winter or whatever they're calling it. We got a little bit distracted. Yeah, but I'm <laughs> what were you talking about? <laughs> uh, the definition of anarcho-capitalism. Uh, Emma Goldman explains anarchism from an anti-government standpoint as being the philosophy of a new social order based on liberty, unrestricted by man-made laws. The theory that all forms of government rest on violence and are therefore wrong and harmful as well as unnecessary. Uh, David Graeber, from a voluntary order perspective, concludes that the easiest way to explain anarchism is to say that it is a political movement that aims to bring about a genuinely free society. 
and that defines a free society as one where humans only enter those kinds of relations with one another that would not have been enforced by the constant threat of violence. And Pyotr Kropotkin combines both types of views in the definition of anarchism as the name given to a principle or theory of life and conduct under which society is conceived without government. Harmony in such a society being obtained not by submission to law or by obedience to an authority, but by free agreements concluded between the various groups, territorial and professional, freely constituted for the sake of production and consumption, and also for the satisfaction of the infinite variety of needs and aspirations of a civilized being. And if one chose not to read further than these cherry-picked quotes, it would seem like these definitions would seem to point to anarcho-capitalism being at least in its basic principle of voluntary exchange and individual property ownership a form of anarchism. Yes, yes it does. And that's why it is. Because cherry-picked quotes is the starting point, right? The fundamentals, like you define your terms and then you build beyond that. So anything that, you know, again, we're going to get into it, but anything beyond like that definition either requires the hyphen, right? Or is just anarchism plus, much like I have my libertarian plus definition. The anarchism plus is how these people choose to go beyond the fundamental foundational definitions of what anarchism means um, to morph their society and their social order uh, to align more with their other beliefs beyond uh, just the, anar- the, the anarchistic side of things, which is human freedom and no government. However, a deeper question arises. Are these descriptions of what anarchism is or rather a description of an end goal reached through rigorous meeting of deeper commitments Uh, The latter is believed by Bias, who maintains that anarchism is not simply synonymous with voluntary association and nothing more. Voluntary association is necessary and non-negotiable, but the anarchist work is not over if nonviolent forms of domination persists. As John Clark argues, the essence of anarchism is not simply the theoretical opposition to the state, but the practical and theoretical struggle against domination which does not stop with the criticism of political organization, but goes to the root of the thing in condemning the authoritarian nature of economic inequality and private property, hierarchical economic structures, traditional education, the patriarchal family, class and racial discrimination, and rigid sex and age roles. Another more concise explanation might be found in the famous line by Noam Chomsky, that the core of the anarchist tradition, as I understand it, is that power is always illegitimate unless it proves itself to be legitimate. So the burden of proof is always on those who claim that some authoritarian hierarchic relation is legitimate. If they can't prove it, then it should be dismantled. And Bias explains that ANCAPs often forget to emphasize this centrality of non-domination in the anarchist ethos. In advocating for an economy centered around private ownership of the means of production, a socioeconomic order that not only reproduces hierarchy, but came into existence through primitive accumulation and other forms of violence like settler colonialism and imperialism, failed to meet the deeper commitments of seeking to abolish hierarchy and domination beyond just that of the state, and so while qualifying as radical libertarianism, anarcho-capitalism is not anarchism. So by those definitions above uh, the the legitimate ownership of the factory 
and the you know the the boss employer the employer employee relationship uh the employer has to prove that it's a legitimate relationship is that what i'm hearing right like no i had the job and he accepted it so it's a legitimate agreement right like sure okay so the the wage slave who like doesn't want the job and this job is illegitimate and shouldn't exist because it doesn't pay me twenty five dollars an hour, there'll be less jobs to go around. Is that what? Getting into the weeds. This thesis is contested by Roderick Long in his contribution on libertarianism and anarchism to Brill's Companion to Anarchism and Philosophy, where he, though not an ANCAP himself, holds that anarcho-capitalism does qualify as anarchism even if it considers the forms of domination in Clark's list as legitimate, either in the weaker sense of not being rights violations and so not permissible targets of forcible interference, or in the stronger sense of not being problematic, even in the terms of private morality. He presents, as I see it, two major arguments. Number one, North American individualist anarchism like that of Benjamin Tucker, Josiah Warren, uh, Voltrain de Clare, and Lysander Spooner is considered a legitimate form of anarchism, and anarcho-capitalism is best understood as a subset of individualist anarchism. And furthermore, many of the features of anarcho-capitalism to which social anarchists point as grounds for exclusion from the anarchist ranks appear to be by shared by individual anarchists, in particular private defense agencies. And number two, the system that ANCAPs describe as capitalism is not the existing statist economy, but rather an actual free market. And not only then does such a system allow for non-capitalist projects such as mutual aid, cooperatives, and communes, but massive inequalities, parasitism, and monopolism are largely the product of state intervention rather than free markets, and so should not be expected to feature in any realistic implementation of anarcho-capitalist ideas. Uh, whatever the anarcho-capitalists themselves expect. Long only loosely addresses the issue of deeper commitment to anti-hierarchy and non-domination, writing it off as a strategy of exclusion by definition. I think this is a serious error as it opens the door to allowing reactionary values in the anarchist movement. Is there nothing inherent in anarchism that rejects racism, misogyny, homophobia, and other forms of bigotry? Uh, long points of Pierre Joseph Proudhon's misogyny, anti-Semitism, and homophobia. But continued uh, place in anarchist canon are essentially proof that there is not, even if such a rejection is good, but are we to view them as compatible or as errors in the early development of the ideology? I believe the latter, and Proudhon himself once said, I dream of a society where I will be guillotined for being a conservative. So again, yeah, all that plus right because as you mentioned earlier the tribalism is likely going to be uh, strong within that and so if you know if you dislike uh, certain people for whatever they happen to be or whatever lifestyle they happen to choose um, the voluntary association clause in the anarch you know in the anarchist theory uh, allows that they can be excluded and you can exclude them and they can exclude you and therefore should not be considered uh, essential um to any sort of voluntarist or free market or anarchist ideals. But moving on to the arguments that Long makes more substantially, I actually agree that anarcho-capitalism is in some way descendant from individualist anarchism, but not because the former is a form of anarchism, but because the latter is a form of proto-libertarianism. 
Individualist anarchism shares a continuity with classical liberalism, just as anarcho-capitalism does, and they both advocate for the complete reduction of the state and the expansion of the market into everything, including law and defense. However, the 19th century individualist anarchists went further to champion progressive social values, like his long outlines, feminism, free love, anti-militarism, and labor empowerment. And their free market ideology is best understood not simply as institutions like private defense agencies, but conceived as implemented not in a capitalistic context, but an anti-capitalistic one. But further that the expansion of the free market in all spheres will generate results favorable to those aforementioned values and destructive to capitalism in general. Long contests this belief, arguing that not only were some 19th century individualists, in particular Spooner, not wholly opposed to interest, rent, and wage labor per se, but just as Tucker expected and predicted, that genuinely free markets would undermine capitalist institutions, but did not make his support for laissez-faire conditional on the accuracy of this prediction. And he saw the connection between anarchism and the undermining of capitalist exploitation as causal rather than definitional, and acknowledged that if he had to choose between individual liberty and more equitable distribution of wealth, he would choose liberty. Long cites two points in particular to back up this assertion. Tucker's more succinct phrasing elsewhere, equality if we can get it, but liberty at any rate, and how, while opposing interests, Tucker noted that he had no other case against interest than that it cannot appear except sporadically under free conditions and that he would cease to oppose interest if he could be convinced that interest can persist where free competition prevails. Setting aside what I believe to be the anomalous views of Spooner, I think using these as reasons to say Tucker, particularly as the fountainhead of free market anti-capitalism, did not see the undermining of exploitation as an essential part of his politics, a misunderstanding of both these sentiments. So again, if you open up the markets, those things will... Uh, not necessarily go away, but there will be a cost to being that thing, right? You will, you will face uh, what we're now calling cancel culture uh, in some form or fashion, right? Some form of ostracism uh, from the, from the greater market, right? If you're, if you're, uh, you know, if you're anti, anti free love or pro military or whatever it happens to be, um, there's a, the, the, the cost of the matter is already built in, right? You can't, you can't do that in a free market, uh, and still maximize your profits as it were. Agreed there? Or does some, um, <clears throat> I'm not sure. <laughs> well, I mean, we've, we've discussed those things in the past, right? The baker that doesn't want to bake the cake for the gays, right? Like, okay, fine. You don't have to bake the cake for the gays. That's your choice. Um, that would be your choice in a voluntary society. That would be your choice in an anarchist society. Uh, but now you have less work, right? Because not only are gays not going to support your business, um, allies of the gays are not going to support your business, right? And you've isolated yourself because of your belief system. Whereas you could have just kept your mouth shut, baked the fucking cake, and, you know, profited more greatly than had you than you would have since you opened your mouth right like it's already there the the, the market provides um that sort of ostracization um uh, and cost to to being those things you don't you don't need you don't need an institution uh, of government to enforce it 
and you certainly don't need it built into the philosophy for it to be considered, you know, anarchist. Uh, the latter of these points can be best understood as a continuation of the of a sentiment presented by Proudhon, who writes that he does not intend to forbid or suppress by sovereign decree, ground, rent, or interest on capital. I think that all of these manifestations of human activity should remain free uh, and voluntary for all. I ask for them no modifications, restrictions, or suppressions other than those which result naturally and, uh, and of necessity from the universal universalization of the principle of reciprocity, which I propose. Here, Proudhon is not defending interest or rent, but rather acknowledging that anarchism does not function in a prohibitory manner like status ideologies, but rather creates a situation in which interest could exist, but probably would not. As Carson writes, drawing from Tucker's own analysis of the money, money monopoly, it is the state's licensing of banks' capitalization requirements and other market entry barriers enable banks to charge a monopoly price for loans in the form of user, usurious interest rates. The admiration of liberty over equality in the form part of Long's above quote can, in turn, be best viewed not as an endorsement of any system as long as it does not have a state, but rather as a sentiment found in the context of his opposition to state socialism. Despite self-describing as a socialist, Tucker was vehemently opposed to its status form writing, there is no halfway house between state socialism and anarchism, and describing the former as the doctrine that all affairs of men should be managed by the government, regardless of individual choice. It is in this opposition that Tucker calls for liberty over equality, believing that ultimately the first would lead to the second, but opposing any ideology, like state socialism, that held its priorities the other way around, as it would never truly establish freedom or equality. This is how we should understand James J. Martin's account of Tucker's writing in his old age that capitalism is at least tolerable, which cannot be said of socialism or communism, not as an endorsement of capitalism that, as Susan L. Brown rationalizes, provides the shift further illuminated in the 1970s by anarcho-capitalist, but the bitter words of the committed anarchist who watched the rise of the authoritarian status USSR in the last 15 or so years of his life, so while certainly the 19th century individualist anarchists were not willing to give up their entire ideology because some of the outcomes might not create as much equality and liberation as they thought, this does not mean that one can do away with these egalitarian and liberatory end goals, a necessary process if anarcho-capitalism is to be brought into the anarchist canon. So we're probably going to stop here pretty shortly. Um, so that'll be the last. We'll just get some final thoughts. So the, what they're saying here is the only way for anarcho-capitalism to be considered anarchism is to have equality as the end goal, not, not liberty or freedom, right? Uh. <laughs> Which makes equality, no sense. Equal, yeah, equality in what? <laughs> well, in everything, right? Hi, yeah, everybody, everybody, hi, gets, every, everybody is owed nothing. That's equal. <laughs> Well, careful what you say there, because that's the current problem with uh, people talk about the World Economic Forum, right? Is by by twenty thirty two, you will own nothing and be happy, right? You will you will be equal in ownership, and that will be zero. Well, that's not what I said. I said uh, you're owed, not not you. Everybody owns the same. <laughs> okay. Sorry, I misheard you. Yeah, <clears throat> if you are owed nothing, then of course. Yeah, everybody's owed nothing. But <laughs> if you are owed nothing, then everyone will be 
unequal because everyone exactly. has different interests and dreams Every, and goals and aspirations. Of course. I mean, everybody's different. <laughs> so to me, it sounds like the end goal of whatever anarchism they're talking about um, is unfeasible as well and should not be the goal of any form, any philosophy, because it, it totally disregards the absolute individuality of all human beings. Yeah. So anyway, my final thought is not, actually I'm not, I'm not too interested in, in the debate uh, is anarcho-capitalism anarchism. Um, I'm more interested in why there aren't more uh, individualists. Um, and I think, and, and that's why I really think is the, the cool part about that book. And so I, anyway, I'm going to make you read that or listen to that book at least. I will uh, do my the best. Righteous Mind. Um, to get your thoughts on it. It's my frustration with it is that it is written by a leftist and, and it's like, I'm going through this book and he's constantly finding out places where he was wrong. Okay. And it's like, at what, at what point do you go, Oh, maybe I should, you know, find somebody who's smarter than me. <laughs> but it's, it's so intelligent the way he's, he's going through this stuff. Like he's, you know, like a scientist would, you know, and okay. he's, um, well. and, <laughs> I will do my best to read it, but I will, I will try to answer your question uh, the best way that I can. And in my opinion, uh, individualist anarchism leads to statism because it disregards the community as a whole. And when I say that, what I mean is when you think about the current situation, right, which individual, which class or which group of people have the most freedom and liberty to do as they please and like, you know, in, in the facets of life that matter. Uh, and the answer is the rich and powerful, right? Like the, the, the political class, you know, that can do as they please get away with, you know, murder and worse. Right. So not even the, not even the legitimate things like they are so free they can do the bad things too. They can do all the good things and they can do the bad things too without fear of repercussion. Like they are the most free. So if you as an individualist anarchist wanted to maximize the amount of liberty and freedom in your own personal individual life, you would find your way into the political class. Like that would be your goal. How do I get there? Because once I'm there, I am free, damn the rest of you. That would be more like an egoist, right? Yeah, but that's that's egoism and individual anarchism are synonymous in my mind. And anarcho-capitalism, at least, you know, as we've defined it so far, includes the market the the market uh, fundamentals, the respect for private property rights, which I don't think you find um, which I don't think you'll find in individual anarchism or egoism. Because it's not about respecting others, it's about maximization of the individual self at any cost. Final, final thoughts? Um, but anyway, my, my thoughts lead me more towards uh, people's inherent, and this is where, where the guy gets it right in that, in that book, um, that people are tribalistic and it's part, it's part of their automatic uh, re- response mechanism and their intuition and intuition is what uh, guides people's uh, actions and interests and stuff. So, um, 
yeah, tribalism is very uh, deeply connected to how humans evolved. And that's one reason why it's hard to um, uh, get people out of the, the group think mentality, you yeah. know, whether it's from the left or the right. Um, and, and to me that that's seems like where, where it comes from. Um, it's uh, yeah. Anyway, deeply rooted to say the least. All right. We're going to wrap it up there though. Thanks for listening. Uh, you guys know where to find us. Anarchistexperience.com on telegram t.me slash anarchist experience or t.me slash the anarchist experience. And if you would like to contribute to this show financially, you can do so through Patreon, patreon.com slash the anarchist experience. Thank you very much for listening. I'll talk to y'all next week. Peace.